Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, if you'll grab your Bibles this morning, we finally got to chapter 4 last week. If we've been going through the book of Ephesians, Paul spent the first three chapters of of Ephesians talking about how much God loves us and and that we are his workmanship, we are his masterpiece, and and all the wonderful things that God thinks about us because oftentimes we think of ourselves so low, so like I'm not worthy, and God's sitting there going, you're so precious to me. Who you are means so much in my view because I tell you, if you (laughs) if you spend that much time out in this real world, The world beats you up, doesn't it? It tells you you're worthless unless you're like the world. But God's not like that. God says, I love you so much. So Paul, last week, is is, you know, we finally get to chapter 4. Basically, chapter 4 begins, now that you understand so much of of what God thinks of you, here's some things that God would, you know, kind of expects out of you that wants you to to attain to, wants you to, to be able to live your life like. And he talks about what it meant to be humble and, and to be gentle and, and to be patient, suffering a long time through different relationships that we have, long-suffering, that, that patience that we have, bearing with one another in love. And at the end, it said, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And if you were here last week, we talked about ligaments of peace, and uh, you You'll have to get the tape from last week or the, uh, get it offline, the, the sermon and stuff, to know what we're talking about there, but that ligament's a piece. And, and, but I love where Paul heads next. In chapter 4, verse 4, he heads in and he says, there's, there's one body and one spirit. Just as you are, were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all, and in all. Paul just lays it completely out here. Paul hits on something that's so important back then and so important for us today. This this concept of one. Paul is making the case for the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit all being one person. You know, we talk about three separate entities, but one. And he's making the case for that right here. Called to one hope, and that hope is Jesus. Called to one Lord, and that Lord is our Father in heaven called the one faith, and again, that's through Jesus, where, where he says that, that no one comes to the Father except through me. One baptism, which is the Holy Spirit. He's saying that Jesus is the only God. He's also saying that there's only one church. So we've got to get along. You know, if you study much about church history, I mean, even driving here today, how many churches did you go by? Not, okay, not, I mean, in, in my town where I grew up, you'd go by First, uh, First Baptist Church. 
And then you keep going, driving along, and then you'd hit Second Baptist Church. And then you keep going along, and, and you know, Third Baptist just sounds so stupid, right? So we have Central Baptist Church. You know, I mean, so, so you get the idea of, you know, maybe coming here today, you pass an Orthodox Church or a Catholic Church or Seventh-day Adventist Church. Paul is saying there, there may be different buildings, but only one church. Of course, the, the church from the very beginning started dividing itself. Well, we don't like this, the, this philosophy, or we don't like this, this person over here, so I'm going to start my own church, and, and all these different things. But regardless of the way you worship, regardless of, of the building you use, whether it's robed choirs and high church where, where, where you're told to do everything and how to do it and where to stand, where not to stand, all those things, or it's a casual, you know, the loud coffee in the sanctuary, you know, heaven forbid type of church. Paul is saying you need to start to get along because it needs to all be centered around one thing, which is Jesus Christ. One church, one spirit. Verse 7, it goes on, it says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The word measure could be in the place of apportioned. That's what he's talking about. He is sticking to, last week we talked about the scale theme and, and, and how, you know, the first three chapters, everything that God thinks about us is on this side of the scale. And now we put our stuff on the other side of the scale and it's really lopsided. But with Christ, it begins to weigh out. It begins to, to be centered. And he sticks with that scale theme, you know, here. It's the word metron. Each, each one, you know, metron is the, the word what? Where we get the word meter from, right? Each one is apportioned or metered out. Grace is Christ has metered it. As Christ has measured it. Christ decides how much grace we get. Our in-laws don't decide how much grace we get. Our husband doesn't you know, decide how much grace. Our wife doesn't decide how much grace. Our friends don't decide all that. Christ has decided how much grace we get. Now, how much grace do we get? You know, have you ever thought, man, I've used up my portion of grace? Have you ever thought, man, I, you know, ever felt the way heaven doesn't want me? I mean, and, and hell's afraid that if I come in, it's, I'm going to take over, right? I mean, it's a funny statement, but in the end, it's really not funny at all, is it? Christ decides how much grace we get. And as an immature Christian, we think that, that man, there's not a gr- enough grace to cover me. He says, but to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. There is so much grace available to you. There's enough grace for today. There's enough grace for tomorrow. It is limitless in regards to you. He loves us so much that he forgives us for our actions. All we have to do is go to him and ask him for it. Verse 80 goes on and says, This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he left captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he has also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, this is what I love about Paul. You just get all confused reading that, don't you? 
You have to read it two or three times. He's talking about one thing. And all of a sudden he goes, oh yeah, he ascended. And, and, and then he descended and then he came back and he ascended. And you're just like so confused. Some of us can relate to this, right? It doesn't matter if somebody else is eavesdropping on your conversation with another person because you're like talking about five different subjects at once. And if they were listening in, they'd be like, huh? You know, you're a multitasker conversationalist. You're a gifted person. As we talk about gifts today, I can do this myself. In fact, you know, I don't even need another person. I can just, you know, my mind just goes 80 miles per hour. I can have a whole conversation about three different subjects with myself within 30 seconds. I think my son's the same way. Lisa went in there this morning and, uh, to get him up, and he's just talking away in his crib. He's just going and going and going. You have no idea what he's going to, you know. Mr. B, our, our father-in-law, asked uh, yesterday, what did Brandon just say? And Lisa goes, I have no clue. He's just at that stage. He just keeps talking here. But Paul is telling us that his work was not finished on the cross. And the whole ascended and descended. We know that, that while Jesus was dead, he went down into what we call the abyss. And he released the righteous dead who were waiting for him. You know, David writes in the Old Testament, I have hope because you are not going to let, me, you know, let, let my soul get stuck in Hades. And he's talking about what we call, you know, H-E double hockey stick. He's talking about hell here. You're not going to let me get stuck down there. So the scriptures teaches us that the righteous dead were down in comfort in a place called Abraham's bosom. So basically everybody went down into Abraham's bosom before Christ came. And apparently it was a, a place of waiting, not only for the work of Christ, but also for the final judgment our problem is this whole concept is, is, is somewhat vague in Scripture. Paul gives us a couple of verses, and then the first Peter, he gives us a, a, you know, Peter and first Peter gives us a few things, but, you know, that is it. We would, have a, we would love a whole book written on the afterlife, wouldn't, wouldn't we? I mean, how, how many of you love to talk about, you know, think, think or talk about the afterlife? Okay, it's always younger people, isn't it? We don't have that whole book. We wish we did. The scriptures tell us to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord, or, or with the Lord. So from what we can piece together, Jesus went down to Abraham's bosom, and this is what the scholars think, and taught them everything he had done on earth and who he was and all about that and about the, the Old Testament sacrifice and how he sacrificed himself. And, and he left that area with the righteous. And the unrighteous are still down there waiting to be judged. But it's not a pre, you know, pleasant place like, like Abraham's bosom. So Paul says that Jesus set the captives free. In other words, he leads them. But he also gave gifts to the church. Paul is one, is, is one in, the, in the New Testament that just gives us all the teaching on spiritual gifts. You know, the special things that the Holy Spirit gives each Christian to bless the body of Christ. And that's the key, to bless the body of Christ. If this really interests you about spiritual gifts, and, and if you want to know what they are, there's, there's three places that, that is talked about about spiritual gifts. One is Ephesians 4, and we're going to hit on that today. And, and Romans 12 is another place, and then 1 Corinthians 12. If you study these three chapters, you get an understanding of, say, 26 to 28 uh, you know, giftings that he gave the church, depending on how you count it. 
we'll cover four or five here. Um, you know, but it's, it, it, well, let's go on to verse 11. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So let's go back and look at some of these words. It's four or five giftings, depending on whether you have, uh, hyphenate uh, pastor teacher, which I, I, I most of the time do. So I say that this is four spiritual gifts. And if you disagree, that's fine, but just don't go out and start a whole new church because you disagree. That's what too many people have done. One body, one unity, one spirit. You know, go back to that. But it says here, he gave some to be an apostles, or to be apostles. What is apostles? In New Testament times, the, the role of the apostles was a really small group. There was the, the, you know, the original 11, because the 12th one, Judas, is not considered an apostle. And then there was Matthias that, in the beginning of Acts that they voted in to, to, to that level, but we don't really hear much about him. Then there's several other places in the New Testament that's listed as different people being apostles. Men and, wait for it, women are listed as apostles, if you can believe that. Search for it in the New, Test uh, New Testament. You want to talk about that? I'll show you where it's at, where Paul even talks about it. It's not very many of them, but he does talk about it. The word means sent out or sent one or one who has been sent out. Most of them had been with Jesus in one way or another, but not all. Now today, there are apostles in the same way as their, you know, same way as the disciples. Now, I know I've met some people who call themselves apostles in certain denominations. You know, the big wigs are, I'm apostle so-and-so. Well, I'm not going to argue with them. I'll, if that's what they want to say and believe, that's fine. All they're saying is, I've been commissioned by Jesus. Now, hopefully this, this does not mean that, that they're saying, I am more special than you. If they're saying that, then it's about ego and not about being sent out by God. Because they're not more special than you or I. And I'm not more Oh, uh, there we go. I'm not more special than you guys. In the New Testament church, if you'd been with Jesus, or you'd worked some type of miracle, they had some criteria here. And in agreement that everyone accepted you as an apostle. And that's about all the teaching I can give you what the New Testament calls an apostle. There's really no more information to really glean from. So we just leave it at that. Believe me when I say there's many opinions out there. Some controversial, some not. But I really don't want to, you know, I really don't care about all those teachings. Because I just go with what the Bible has to say. And it doesn't say much. In verse 11 it says, It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. So let's stick with the word prophet for a little while. Unfortunately, this word has really been skewed. It has nothing to do with fortune telling. And it has nothing to do with money, as in profit. Because a lot of people use it to gain the profit. They, they, they become prophets because they like the profit, you see. Well, we have to go back to the Old Testament to find out more about this. The role of the prophet was a really important role before Jesus came. Who are some of the Old Testament prophets? Just holler them out. Exactly. I was thinking of all those guys. 
These guys had a role of prophets. They, they were called prophets. And you have minor prophets, and that's the only reason why they're called minor prophets is because we don't know much about them. And then you have major prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah because they have a whole book about them. We call them major prophets because we know a lot more about them. But they're, they're sent from God. They have all very different ministry styles. Um, but uh, these guys were very similar to each other, but different styles of doing it. What were they doing? They were there to call the, 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 uh, the guys who were in ministry, those that are in leadership, to accountability. They would walk into the throne room of, of think of the Jewish kings, you know, David or, or Saul or, or, you know, Solomon, and then you had a whole bunch of good kings and bad kings all piled up in there, and they would walk in and they would point their, usually their, you think of a prophet as an older guy, you know, and they would be all hunched over, you know, the movies, and, and, and you know, they'd point their bony finger at the king Listen here, kingy, you know, and they would tell the king all the stuff he's doing wrong. Now, before you like, yeah, I like to be one of those guys, walk in and tell the leadership what to do. Just so you know, the kings like to kill these guys. They were very black and white. They called Israel to, to repentance. Judgment is coming if you continue down this path. That's what, what their job was. Now, in the New Testament, we see some of this prophetic gifting. Like the guys who, who went to Paul and said, don't go, to, don't go to Jerusalem because something bad is going to happen if you go. Now, Paul knew that he was called to go to Jerusalem, and that bad thing was him being arrested and eventually killed for Christ. But he went anyway because he knew that was his calling. So is there prophetic gifting in the church today? Well, of course there is. But I'm not talking about the guy on the street corner with the big sign that says, repent. I'm not talking about the guy like David Koresh who, who would manipulate people. Or Jim, uh, what was Jim's last name that back in the 70s? That I, you know who I'm talking about, right? I see heads going up and down. I forgot his last name. That took all those guys down and they all drank the poison and all died together. I'm not talking about those type of people that manipulate people. But in the church... The areas that you would see this is oftentimes in speaking roles. Sometimes the pastor will have this gift of, uh, you know, this type of gifting. Somebody who can not only read the word, but explain it. So he can teach you. And sometimes that teaching is very black and white. And they may say, repent. Or it may be during counseling session. Man, you've really screwed up. You need to get this straightened out. Very blunt-like. But he has to be careful because there are abuses in this area. Not everyone is a prophet, which is good. Because in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, Paul says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with content. Test everything. Hold, uh, hold on to the good. So how do you test a prophetic gifting? And if you're a note taker, get ready here. Because sometimes you'll have, and I've even had this happen here, I've had this happen in other places, somebody will come up to you and they will say something like, God gave me a word for you. It can be very interesting. I have a word, for the, you know, a word from the Lord for you. And immediately when somebody says that, have yellow lights go up. Not red lights, okay, but yellow lights. It's like the caution light, you know, that you always run. Well, Pay attention here. Ask some key questions to yourself. Why does this person have a word for the Lord for me? 
when I was just talking to the Lord and he didn't say anything to me? That's a good question. It doesn't mean they don't have that word, but it's a good question to start with. Now, they could have a word from the Lord for you, but just the way that they approach you shows their immaturity in this gifting because it gives you no options. It means I have a word from the Lord for you, and if you don't follow it, then you're not doing what God told me that you should be doing. Do you follow in the, the logic here? In other words, they, they put you in a corner and you can't go anywhere else. You know, ever so often you get letters. The only biblical way to do this in your church is to do it this way. The only way to worship, the only way to, you know, teach Bible studies, the only way to teach the kids, you know, and they just leave you no options whatsoever. Either believe what I believe or you're out of God's gifting and I'm out of here. So let me caution you if you feel like you have this gift. Whatever you have to say, number one, needs to jive with the word of the Lord. If it doesn't match up with the Bible, then God didn't tell you that and somebody else must have told you that. Either it's coming from your own little brain here or Satan, the enemy, is getting in there and confusing you. You know, we need to, we need to not ignore Scripture. If 99% of the scripture agrees with you, but that one verse doesn't, then it's not from God. It's got it's to agree totality. The whole word of God's got to agree with what you have to say. You have to ask yourself, is this something I really, 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 really want? Now this, if it's something you really, really, really want, is usually called bossiness or manipulation you know, I get this ever so often. Somebody comes in and, and they really, really, really want something. But it's not necessarily biblical. This is not a gift. So what if the Lord gave you something to say to somebody? Well, first, you need to seek God. Lord, are you sure that I should go tell this person this? And then wait for an answer. Tell me again. Because it can wait a while. Second, check your agenda. What is my relationship with this person? Is this person my future daughter-in-law or son-in-law and I want them to act this particular way? That's called manipulation. But if the Lord still puts it on your heart, how do you approach a, uh, a person? Well, you approach them humbly. You approach them gently. You don't go to them and say, this is what God has for you from me. You give them options or ways to disagree. You know, I've really been thinking about this a lot. I've been praying about this. Have you ever considered? That's a great way to approach somebody. Don't say, I have, I have a prophetic command for you. Thus says the Lord. That's, that's just all human. That's not the way to do it. So, you know, back to someone who comes to you. So we're going from, from the idea, if you have that gifting and you go to, you got to learn how to approach people. You've got to make sure it's from God. But, okay, what if your approach, go back to that. One is, after you've carefully considered what they have to say and you check it with Scripture, two, you have to think, have they ever done this before to somebody else? How did it work out? You can't rely on this, you know, solely because the scriptures say in the last day that deceivers will, will come working miracles. 
And you'll think, man, this guy must be from God. I mean, look at the miracle. Look at what he's doing. His church is 40,000 people. He's got to be doing something, right? Or whatever it is. This guy's doing miracles. Because it says deceivers will come working miracles, even taking the elect with them. That means the believers. And then thirdly, has the Lord confirmed it with you? Are you paying attention to the Lord at all? Somebody comes to you and says, have you ever considered, the Lord's been kind of talking with me about this, I don't know if you've thought about it. And then you've got to take that and have to say, man, is the Lord trying to tell me that or not? And usually it's confirmed by somebody else also that doesn't even know the conversations that are going on. You know, if you're not paying attention to the Lord, maybe you ought to get a hold of them somehow. But you've got to confirm it. Two ways, through the Scripture and through the Holy Spirit. Now, if they do have a word for you, and it jives with the Holy Spirit, and it jives with the Bible, thank the Lord, because somebody is exercising his or her gift to bless you. Now, don't put them on a pedestal. Don't give them money. But thank the Lord. Now, a whole church cannot depend on a person on this type of ministry. Why? It becomes a very immature church very quickly. Well, why would you seek the Lord if somebody could come to you and tell you what God wants you to do all the time? Why, you know, why, why do I have to worry about that? Because he'll just, that person will come and tell me and I'll just follow whatever they say. You become an immature person, therefore an immature church. Well, why pray if somebody can, you know, has an appointment for, for you already? Now, I'm not saying you don't need the church or go to a home study and, and stop communicating with everybody or not have a relationship within the body of Christ because this is contrary to Scripture. We need the body for edification, to help us grow, to help us mature. There is a place for everyone in the body of Christ. That's what giftings are for, the edification of the church, the building up of the church. Now, I think because of the abuses in the church, through manipulation, through control issues, through the work of the enemy, through our own desires, we are now afraid of prophetic giftings. We're now afraid of, of somebody who, who says, you know, I was talking with the Lord and I really think. So therefore, we, we don't exercise these gifts. And I really think it's, it's a shame because in the right context, it's a wonderful gift. It's a great gift. The biggest key is to not trust the person. You have to rely on Scripture. Even if they seem godly, seem like they know Scripture, you have to rely on the Scripture. For those that have that prophetic gifting, be careful. Be careful how you approach people. Be careful how you talk to people. Verse 11, it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and some to be evangelist. Now, evangelists is, is those that are gifted in leading people to Christ. You know, it used to be that evangelists would come through towns. You know, you'd have the, the big tents made up or they would rent the biggest hall. And, you know, the evangelists would come uh, through town and, and, you know, lots of baptism, lots of stuff going on. But really, the word, all it means is bringing the good news. Those who are gifted in one-on-one -on -one conversations about talking about Christ. Not everybody is. 
Or maybe, you know, in groups, and man, you, you get four or five people that all of a sudden they're, they're relating, and, and, and they're just like totally just bringing people to the Lord, and they're really good at it. Do these people, you know, really uh, intimidate you? You ever know somebody's just always talking to their friends about Christ, and you're sitting there going, man, I, I don't want to approach my friends like that. Yeah. You know, if that's, you know, if they intimidate you, maybe that's because that's their gifting. You know, it doesn't excuse us from sharing Christ with other people. But they seem to be sharing all the time. If you have that gift, you need to be using it through teaching, through people, through, through meeting with other people. And serving in the community that gives you opportunities to talk to others about Christ. It says in verse 11, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now this is a kind of a fun one because I'm a pastor teacher. Better at one than the other. Because that's normally how it works. There are pastors who are not very good teachers. But they're great shepherds. I used to work under a guy that, man, it would just drive me nuts. His sermons were just like, love Jesus. And I'm like, that's great, but what do I do with it now? Well, you love Jesus. Jesus loves you. I get that. Two years, I said under that teaching, I'm just like pulling my hair out. Because the people were staying immature in the teaching and learning of the Word of God because it was all about love Jesus and Jesus loves you. But man, he could love the people. Oh, he could love the people. He would just walk up to somebody and he would just give them a hug and they would just hug him right back. Oh man, I mean these people just loved him. And I'm over there pulling my hair out because I like the teaching. They nurture the people around them. This is the gift of pastoring. Others have the gift of teaching, and, and, and their shepherding skills have to be developed. This is why many times you will see in larger churches multiple staff members, multiple pastors on staff. Another church I worked at, man, wonderful teacher, could not shepherd, could not pastor, you know, worth anything. Yet his second in command, oh man, he was awesome. He just loved the people. That's why, you know, it's good to have a multiple people on staff that have different skills, different, you know, giftings of the Lord so you can develop these things within the church. Now, all of this is for what verse 12 says. Verse 12 says, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Oh, sorry. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown uh, here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love 
and each part does its work. Now, there's no way we're going to be able to cover all of that. But first of all, this is a beautiful passage. Even though the mic messed up and I totally messed it up reading, it's a beautiful passage because Paul basically tells us why the church exists. This week, I hope that you go home and you pick this apart because there are some great words and great concepts here to prepare the saints, to equip each other so that the body can be built up or edified, as we say in the church. You know, we like to use these churchy words. All it means is is to build one another up, to hold one another up. These things work together to produce the unity in the faith. You know, last week we, we talked about unity in the spirit about learning how to, to, to put up with one another, learning how, because we're all part of, you know, we're all God's children. And I don't know about you, but if you have a large family, you have siblings, you don't all agree, you don't always get along, do you? But you're still part of the same family. Here, he's talking about unity and faith. Not that we just get along, but we have a foundation of faith together. In verse 13 it says, and in the knowledge, in other words, the experiential knowledge, the working knowledge of the Son of God and and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This right here is a statement, what would Jesus do? You know, the big statement in the the middle of 90s, you know, what would Jesus do in the bracelets and and the headbands and anything else they could put, what would Jesus do? That was the big thing. This is exactly what we're talking about here. Right here is the truth. This is what should be in your heart. The church exists so that you get to the point where you automatically do what? What Jesus would do. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is how we should operate. This is how how we should be and who we should be. No longer infants tossed to and forth, you know, back and forth by the waves. We see this in churches. You know, uh, you know, a pastor goes off to a conference and comes back from that conference and he has a whole new set of ideas. And, it, and the church changes directions completely, being tossed to and fro. We have to have a good foundation of belief and not easily manipulated. I can pretty much get my son to do anything right now. He just follows right along, right? He's an infant. That's what infants do. They just follow. They just see something and they go that way. Churches should not do that. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their defe- deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking, of the tru- speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. Now, is the head the pastor? No. The head is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And this is where we're going to have to pick up next week. But I want these words to, to edify us as a church. I want these words to encourage us as a church. I want these words to equip us as a church. As we start going through different gifts that, that Paul lays out, that we should be following how the Lord wants us to be, not only in our church, but in our community. That we should edify one another, that we should encourage one another, that we should equip one another. 
For this world needs people. This world needs people who are going to go out and say, this is why I believe what I believe. This is why I study the Bible. This is why I go waste my time, as you put it, as the world puts it, on Sunday morning to come together to the body of Christ. This is why I keep up with the relationships and put time, energy, and effort into it. This is why I serve. Because I got a Lord that loves me beyond anything that I could ever imagine. That's why. That's why. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you just impart upon us, that you put it in our spirit, that deep within us, that we start to understand you have made us for a purpose. And that purpose is to show you to this world through our actions, through our attitudes, the things that we do, the things that we don't do, that we have a choice of how to live, that we have a choice of who to follow. And it can be either the world or the enemy that we call Satan, or it can be you. And really, truly, when people get to know us, they know who we follow. And I pray, Lord, I pray that you protect us from this world that you would not allow false teaching to get within the church, that we become mature enough that when we see that, we rebuke that and we say, that is not for us. Because your teachings are so important to our daily life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's grace be upon you. May his face never turn from you. May his light shine in your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.